we continue on in our series, our summer series from the book of Acts, the story continues as we deal with that theme. Earlier this week, we received a phone call, and it was from the speaker that had been scheduled on the program over the weeks, Tim Lane, then uh, uh, for reason unknown to us, but they had to make a cancellation. We started praying who God would direct toward our ministry this day. And God laid on the heart to invite one who's not a stranger at all to the ministry of Colonial. Dwayne Early, Dr. Dwayne Early is here this morning to minister the Word of God. We were praying about who could handle the Word of God in the book of Acts. And probably no one's more familiar with what God is trying to do missionally in the book of Acts than one who served as a missionary. I say Dwayne's not a stranger because for seven years in the beginning of Colonial Baptist Church, he was here. He was Stephen's first assistant on this staff. Many of you know him well. Then God led Dwayne and Sue from this ministry with their family. They headed to the Ukraine where they were missionaries. And after having an impacting ministry there in the Ukraine, God directed them then to lead for ABWE missions, to lead Eastern Europe and then the Middle East ministries there. And using them then in that ministry for years, God brought them to be part of the team where he now serves in leading the entire mission organization. He's vice president for global operations. And under his oversight falls all the missionary responsibilities for North America, Latin America, Europe, Africa, Asia. That's a lot of people around the world. And so it's good to have him here. Looking forward, you will be thrilled with what God has laid on his heart to bring to us this morning. And so let's welcome a dear friend of Colonial, dear friend to many of you, not a stranger, Dwayne Early to the pulpit, shall we? Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it, brother. Appreciate it. It is exciting to be at Colonial Baptist Church. It wasn't what the plan was, but God had his own plan, and I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to be here. But I have to admit, it reminded me of of something of uh, what I saw happen not that long ago. I'm a Detroit Tiger fan, grew up in Detroit, and uh, it's a great year to be a Tiger fan. And we have the best baseball player on the team that plays baseball by the name of Miguel Cabrera. Uh, triple crown winner of last year and uh, having a better season this year. Last night had a walk-off home run to win the game. And I still remember a couple weeks ago that 40,000 people came to watch Miguel Cabrera only to find out that he was hurt and he wasn't going to play and a guy by the name of Don Kelly was going to take a spot. And you can almost hear 40,000 people at the same time sighing going, oh, we came to watch Miguel. Who's Don Kelly? Well, today I'm the Don Kelly of the summer series. <laughs> So uh, you got to know who you are, and, and I appreciate the introduction that Dave does. I'm going to take him with me everywhere I go, because he made me sound much better than I really am. And uh, my dad used to always go by the label. He'd tell people, my name is Dwayne, the same as mine. He would say, I'm plain Dwayne. So today you have plain Dwayne coming to you to share the Word of God, and uh, that's, that's who I am, and nothing else. So we're thankful that God has allowed this opportunity to be with you today. If you turn to the book of Acts today, that's our summer series, and to the first chapter of the book of Acts, we're going to read a a few verses together to begin with here. Acts chapter 1, and we're going to begin with verse 4. Acts chapter 1, read 4 through 8. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. 
Do not leave Jerusalem, Jesus tells the disciples, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptizes water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. And you have this beautiful conjunction right here, but. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now when you stop to think about that, today we want to look at a template for the Great Commission. Matthew 28 gives us a Great Commission and it's very simple. Make disciples of all nations. Nations we know in its essence is the word people groups. Make disciples of all people groups around the world. The Great Commission. In Acts 1, we have a template for the Great Commission because it's an event that's actually happening to the original disciples. It's not happening, it's not just simply this is what you should do. But here, Dr. Luke, as only a doctor can do, is describing in Gospel of Luke and in Acts from his perspective what God wants them to do, what Jesus Christ wants them to do. From that, it is created a template, a template for the rest of Christians throughout the ages to look at and to learn from. So today we want to learn from this template for the Great Commission. And in this template, we're going to see, first of all, the need for prayerful preparation. Secondly, we're going to understand that we are simply instruments in the Great Commission. Nothing more, nothing less. Then thirdly, we're going to look at the common temptation for the church today. What is the common temptation when it comes to a template for the Great Commission? Well, my wife and I have been with ABW now almost 20 years. It's hard to believe it's been that long since we've been here at Colonial Baptist. And uh, in that process of joining ABW, we had to go through uh, a time when we would gather information about us, references, documents. The mission collects about 80 to 90 different pieces of information if someone actually joins ABWE in the process. So one of the things we have to do is a counseling profile. And so you put together a counselor profile that goes to a staff counselor that then prepares a session or two to go through with each couple that joins ABWE. That counseling session at Canada School at Harrisburg for new missionaries is one of the scary things that people go into. Like, oh, we got to meet with the counselor. You know, what he's gonna, what's he going to say? What are we going to have to do? And I still remember, even though we've been a pastor and wife for a number of years, we had our counseling meeting one evening. And we walked in a room, and the guy was on the other side of the room. His name was Dr. Secor. And he said, are you the earlies? And I yelled back, said, yes, we are. He said, you passed for 14 years, right? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, well, I got your paperwork. I don't need to see you. And I'm like, yes, he doesn't need to see us. And I remember starting to turn and quickly step out of the room. My wife says, wait a minute, we're scheduled to meet with you. And I'm like, babes, what are you doing? The counselor said he didn't need to see us. And then she says, and only my wife can say, she goes, you know, you're supposed to meet with us and tell us what's wrong with us. And I'm like, oh, no. And my people, people think my wife's quiet. You know, I'm like, oh, I can't believe she just said this. And, and so he goes, so you want your minutes. You want your time with the counselor. 
And my wife says, well, I want to know how to be better. And I'm like, well, I'm pretty happy the way I am. I don't know about her. <laughs> so it's like, so they bring us in and we sit down. And he said, okay, let's, let's talk a minute. Now you got to understand, Dr. Secor was a counselor, but he was also a part-time truck driver. You talk about an odd combination. <laughs> a counselor who's, I, I love the guy. He was incredible. He hasn't worked with us for over 15 years, but we got him at the end of his time at ABWE. And he sat down. He says, now you've been a pastor 14 years. Let me ask a couple questions. I said, sure. You ever been hurt? I laughed. I said, I just told you I've been a pastor for 14 years. Of course I've been hurt. He goes, good. He goes, another question. Did you go over it? Did you get over it? And I'm like, yes, I think so. And he goes, good, because you're going to get hurt again. And you're going to have to get over it again. Can you handle that? And I'm like, this guy is really simple. I can follow him, you know? (laughs) I said, yes, I I think we can. I think we understand how we're going to get hurt. And I think we have built-in mechanisms to deal with that. He said, well, let me say it a different way. Let me give an illustration. And and this is where I love my wife because she had to sit down. And I got to hear an illustration that meant a great deal to me. And I've used it many times since then. And this is what he said. He says, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you become a new creation. You are a person born into a glass house. Inside that house is an incredible bright light. That light was put there by Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit. It's much like a lighthouse on a hill. And if you've ever been around lighthouses, you realize that it's all about the optics. It's all about the glass. It's all about having the right kind of glass around the light that makes it work effectively. And Jesus Christ, when you accept him, he has placed within you this incredibly bright light. And he's put windows all around you. So every Christian is born in a glass house. We are all born in this incredibly beautiful, transparent glass house. But the council went on and he says, but you have two problems, you and other people. That pretty much sums up most problems in this world, you know? <laughs> he says, you will break windows in that house because of your own sinfulness. You will break them. He says, also, other people will sin against you and they will break them from the outside. He says, what you have to learn to do as a Christian is be really good at replacing windows. But that's not what happens to the typical Christian. The typical Christian who has people break the window from the outside get hurt. And when we're hurt, what do we feel? Pain, don't we? And we live a life trying to avoid pain. And so therefore, from when we're hurt and that window breaks, he says we build brick walls where there used to be a window. And another window breaks and we build another brick wall. Sometimes it's own sinfulness. We don't want people to know our failures, so we build another brick wall. And before long, this incredibly gorgeous, transparent house on the hill that shines forth the light of Jesus Christ now contains that light with inside and none of it escapes. And now you just are looking at the church in North America. It's filled with believers who are living behind brick walls. We talk about churches having fortress mentalities. Forget about churches. Churches only reflect the people inside the church. We live in fortresses where the light cannot penetrate outside to make a difference. See, we are about the gospel. God created us with a purpose to shine forth the light of Jesus Christ, to be the lighthouse on that hill. That is why we exist. We do not exist just to come to church on Sunday, I hope. We don't exist just to be able to learn more facts about the scripture. We learn in order to take 
what we know is the truth and expose the world that truth so others may enjoy the great riches that we enjoy in Jesus Christ and know why they were created, why they're living, and where they're going. Because that's incredibly important. Well, we need to be in prayerful preparation. Turn to Luke 10, 24, if you will. Dr. Luke is writing the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book Acts. And I love medical doctors. I have the privilege of working with them in the mission. We have just an exceptional group of medical doctors, nurses, medical personnel around the world that serve in medical ministries. In fact, I'll be back here in October. We have a medical, in, medical interface that we're having here, a conference with medical doctors housed by Colonial in October here in North Carolina. And I'm going to be able to be the closing speaker to that. So I'm looking forward to that time in October on a Saturday being here. But one thing I've learned from guys like Bob Cropsey, who the church has supported long term, good friend of mine, dear friend, the Gebert's, Dr. and Dr. Gebert, husband and wife team working in the Gambia for years and Middle East. Miriam Wheeler, who is in Ukraine. All these medical doctors taught me something. Number one, that medical doctors don't know everything. Did you know that? I mean, you know, us laymen, we think medical doctors know everything. When you get to know them, you're like, hey, you really don't know really everything, do you? Not even about the body do you know everything, or even about medicines. I mean, some of the stuff you're kind of guessing at, aren't you? And he's like, yeah, that's what we call diagnosis. We guess. And I'm like, don't tell anybody, though. That's what they tell me. We don't want to lose our mystique with the common man, you know. But what you realize is a Christian doctor, nobody you meet has more dependence on God than a Christian doctor. Because they see the importance of God working through the, the created body to do what it does. And, and I learned so much from the medical community that are believers, that are missionaries, to teach me that how much we truly are dependent on Jesus Christ. And, and Luke was a medical doctor. He understood dependence on God probably better than the other disciples. Because even though he understood the human body, anatomy at that point, he understood medicines, he saw the mystery of God in a unique way. And when he writes, you kind of feel that it's a sense that, okay, Luke understands that. Luke in Luke chapter 24, in verse 44, he said this to them. This is Jesus speaking. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. All right, everything has fulfilled. Then he opened their minds. If I could stop there for a minute and just say, if my visit with you today could do nothing more than to help open your mind, then my visit was well worth it. See, when he said this, the disciples did not quite get why they were disciples. They had followed Jesus for three and a half years, waiting for the kingdom to be ushered in. Back in Acts 1, They ask him, is now the kingdom going to come? And he says, it's not your business to worry about the kingdom. You're missing the point. Acts 1 and Luke 24 happen simultaneously. They're recorded at the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts, but they're happening at the same time. And he says, it doesn't matter. It's not your business to know the kingdom. He says, your business is to be witnesses. So he opens their minds, and this is what he tells them when he opens their minds. And he says, so they could understand the scripture. He told them, this is what's written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Folks, that's the essence of the gospel right there. 
He said, you will understand the scriptures because the essence of the gospel, the gospel is the essence of the scripture. Jesus Christ will suffer, die, and rise again. That's enough to believe in to get to heaven. It's not complicated. And he gives it right here. He says, understand what it is. He says, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. He goes on to say, you are witnesses of these things. I love it when you read Luke at 24 and Luke in 1. He never tells the people to be witnesses. He says, you are witnesses. You've experienced things with Jesus Christ that it's not a choice to be. The only choice you have is to be a good witness or a bad witness. You cannot stop being a witness once you're a new creation. You are a witness. We are all here today witnesses. Some of us are more effective than others because some of us actually have a heart to prepare prayerfully. And Luke says that we need to prepare because look what he says. He goes, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, mainly the Holy Spirit. That's what he promised. But look what he says. But stay in the city. You would think Jesus would say to the disciples, okay, I was dead. I rose again. I'm here. This is the message. Go out and do your thing. He says, no, stop. Wait. Stay here. Prepare yourself for what I want to do in your life. He says, stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. How are you clothed today? I mean, we've got ladies out wearing beautiful things out there. We have men wearing nice shirts, wonderful slacks. You're trying to make a statement with how you're dressed. Well, not all of you, but most of you, you know. <laughs> but wouldn't you want to be clothed with power from on high? That resource is just as available to us today as it is to those disciples in that day. He says, but you have to wait. You have to prayerfully prepare to be clothed with that power from on high. Acts 1 talks about it this way. He says in verse 4, Acts 1, back to Acts 1, do not leave Jerusalem. He says, wait, don't leave. Don't get the cart before the horse. Hold up. He says, but wait for the gift my, my father had promised because there will be a time when you'll receive power. We have to understand that the preparation the disciples had was both personal and very particular to them. Jesus treated John differently than he did Peter. He treated Andrew differently than he did Thomas. They all had their strengths. They had their weaknesses. But there was a mentoring going on to prepare them to be the dynamic disciples that they would eventually be. And that's why I believe in the discipleship of the body of Christ by the body of Christ, but the need for mentoring that happens of men mentoring men and women mentoring women within the body of Christ. Because we need to continue to make it personal, in particular, to each and every person that we come in contact with as it was for the disciples. It also, this process of prayerful preparation is pleasurable and painful. It was pleasurable when Jesus said, who am I? And Peter stood up and said, you are the Christ. You don't think Peter found pleasure in being able to be the one with the right answer? The one who always wanted to have the right answer? And Jesus said, you are right, Peter. I am the Christ. But it was painful 
When Peter said, though everyone else fail you, Jesus, I will stay with you. And yet, in front of a small fire and a handful of people, he could not stop denying Jesus Christ in his moment of need. And poor Peter, who was so dejected, such a failure, that Jesus met with him on the beach. And he said, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter, do you love me? And he restored Peter to his position, brought him out of that failure as a learning lesson. And that same Peter who who denied Jesus in front of a small fire, a few people, stood up at Pentecost in front of thousands of people and said, this Jesus that you crucified is the Son of God and you need to accept him as your Savior. Only God does that kind of stuff. But it takes prayerful preparation. We need to become dependent on God. One of the great joys of my life was to be able to get to know one of our former presidents, ABW, Wendell Kempton. Interestingly, Wendell Kempton was the first mission conference speaker at Colonial Baptist Church history. We were meeting over at the uh, middle school. We were meeting in the band room. We probably were about 400 people at the time. And Wendell Kempton was our first missions conference speaker. A man who was president of ABW for 30 Three years. A man who had a huge impact, not just on my life, but so many lives. A man who personally had a Bible study with the Philadelphia 76ers, had a Bible study with the Phillies, led people to the Lord that were in that world and in the professional world, personally led them to Jesus Christ as president of that mission. And when I received the, the role that I have now about four years ago, his former executive secretary, Dolores, came up to me and said, Dwayne, could I have a few moments of your time? I said, yes, that'd be great. She said, you know, Dr. Kempton's with the Lord now. But if he was alive, I know he'd want to tell you how proud he is and how thankful he is that you're in the role that you're in. Many, many times he prayed for you. I heard him do that. And then he also believed in you, Dwayne, and what you could do at ABWE. And I just want you to know that because you wouldn't know it unless somebody told you. I said, that's very kind, Dolores. I really do appreciate that. She said, but I also want to tell you something if I might. She said, after I served with Dr. Kempton about seven years, he said, I came to him and I said, Dr. Kempton, I've been watching you and I have a question. Every time somebody comes in your office, every time you have a meeting, it seems like you know exactly the right thing to say. You know how to approach people. You know how to use words in a correct way. She says, how do you do that? And he looked down, he looked up, and he got a little choked up. And he said, Dolores, I'm really disappointed because I thought you would know that by now, just by being around me. And she said, no, I want to know. And he said, every morning that I get up, I think of the responsibility that God has given me. I think of my relationship with Jesus Christ and what he desires for me to do. And I realized how incompetent, how inadequate I am for the task of the day. And so I cry out to God. I say, God, I'm desperate for you. I'm desperate for you. I can't do what you want me to do, God, without you in my life. I can't share Jesus Christ. I can't do the responsibilities you've given me to lead within the Christian community without you. I am desperate for you. And she said, Dwayne, I'm praying that you'll be desperate for God. Each and every day since four years ago, I started my day crying out to God, saying, God, I'm desperate for you. 
I mean capable, enable, and all around really pretty much a mess without God. But the truth of the matter is we all are. If you want to really get transparent and honest, we all live there, every one of us. And we've got to start today. We can never even think about being a witness for Jesus Christ until we understand that connection of dependence. Then once we understand the connection of dependence, if you do one thing for me, if you do one thing, it will revolutionize your life. That is, when you get up in the morning, that you just don't pick up the Bible and read a verse and say, okay, now I can go on to work because I read my Bible. Or you don't have a prayer time where you just say, well, Lord, protect my wife and my children. A good thing to pray about. Help them grow in the knowledge of the Lord. That's good. Pray for Aunt Susie. She's sick. And for my friend Jim, he's sick. That's good. But you will do one more thing every single day. You will simply say, Lord, I'm dependent on you, and I want you to bring somebody across my path that does not know you. I want you to create a divine appointment that you bring somebody across my life that doesn't know you so I can live Jesus in front of them. I can let my lighthouse so shine that I can speak forth the words to lead them to a knowledge of yourself. Give me that opportunity this day. I pray, I beg of you to give me that opportunity. I'm amazed as you pray those prayers, how many opportunities daily come across your path. You have not because what, folks? You have not because you ask not. The church is not a light. It's not a witness. People are not getting saved because we're not even asking. So how worth are we going to be expecting? And we're not prepared because we haven't started the day desperate for God and dependent on him and saying, God, without you, I cannot do this. We have to realize there's a need for prayerful preparation, but we also understand that we are simply instruments. We put way too much credit or too much responsibility on our shoulders. People say, well, you know, I can't share the gospel. I'm, I can't really be a witness because, you know, I'm not a great public speaker. Uh, you know, I, I don't have the ability to communicate. You know, I'm scared of crowds. You know, I'm really shy. We're missing the point. It's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about being an instrument. Here, he said to the disciples, the Holy Spirit is going to be deposited in you. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You, you are not the most credible. You're not the most fortunate. You're not the most, um, you don't have the greatest potential. He said, but the Holy Spirit's being deposited in you. And because of that deposit, it's going to make a change. It's going to affect your life. And we know those disciples were waiting in a city. They were staying in a city. And then it says in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit came into the city. It landed on those disciples, the Holy Spirit in his form, and they began to speak in languages that were not their own. And it drew people from all over the city into the center of the city. So thousands and thousands gathered. And people asked, how can these simple Galileans do what they're doing. Because they were doing nothing. God was doing everything. And that's the secret of being a witness. It's allowing God to do everything and realizing I am simply an instrument. I wish you could travel with me on some of my travels and see the things I've seen as I go around the world. And one of the places lately I've been to is the island of Fiji. 
Now, some, whenever we hear a word like Fiji, you may think of something exotic in the Pacific. But if you've never been there, you don't understand that Fiji is a very poor country. A very poor country. You have Polynesia, which is Hawaii and Tahiti, and is kind of the uh, beauty spot of the Pacific, if you will. Then you have Micronesia, which is closer to Asia. Then you have Melanesia, where actually Fiji's in. Melanesia is right off the coast of New Zealand and down south. Not a real tra- well-traveled area. In fact, most of the people that visit Fiji for vacations come from Australia and New Zealand. Not many Americans will even be there. And it's not a very built-up tourism place. It's a very poor mainland country. The, the whole country is well over a million, but the mainland is about 600,000 people. In the 1970s, Dr. Nair had a heartbeat and a vision for training young men for the ministry. He had a passion to reach people for Jesus Christ, and he did that by preparing young men to be pastors who had a, a, a burden for church planning and evangelism. In the late 70s, he began working with these young men. At the time he began, about 10,000 believers were represented at 600,000 who lived in the island. Today, as you would travel to Fiji, I could go around the island and show you 200,000 believers now. One-third of the island now accepting Christ. If you met Dr. Nair, he's soft-spoken, he's nondescript, he's quiet, he's almost invisible. And you say to yourself, how can God use one man to reach 200,000 people? Because as you spent time with Dr. Nair, as I have, you realize the only ability that Dr. Nair presented himself was availability of the Holy Spirit. And I've never seen a man in all my days where the Holy Spirit flows through so powerful, so freely as Dr. Nair. God wants to do that through each and every one of us. We may not reach 200,000 people for Christ, but he wants us to be that bright light in our neighborhood, that bright light in our workplace, that bright light in our sphere of our influence. It's not about us. It's, we're the instrument that God wants to play and make this incredible music from. He wants this from us. It's a realization of being who we are. It's not that witnessing is a choice. It's who we are. The scripture says very clearly when Paul wrote to Corinthians, he says, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the crucible of the Holy Spirit. He's chosen to live within you. Therefore, you have access to the entire power of the Godhead as you walk in this earth and you can do incredible things, but our expectations because of our lack of preparation is so small. And it's a lack of faith. It's a lack of understanding of what can be. And so therefore, churches aren't growing in the United States. Churches aren't being planted. You go to Africa, you travel to Asia, you go to South America, and you're watching a birth take place in front of your eyes of new churches Whole communities coming to Jesus Christ. And I look at my own home and I think, what has happened to the church? Why have we lost our first love? The book of Revelation talks about that wonderful church in Ephesus. A church solidly rooted in a doctrine of the word. Solid. But he says, I have one thing against you. You've lost your first love. You've lost that ability to think back to the first time you met Jesus. When someone gets saved and they first meet Jesus, do you know how they act? They know nothing about doctrine. They don't know where to find the books in the Bible. They don't know how to pronounce anything. But they're running to their friends and saying, 
I met Jesus. Do you want to meet him? Come with me. I'll, I'll introduce you to some people that really know Jesus. But he changed my life. I don't know what happened, but it was amazing. And then, you know, we get him in the church. We dress him up. We fill him full of knowledge. And then he later finds out that a good Christian just sits there, soaks, and sours. And we ruin him for life. You know, I'm all for us learning in the word of God. But he with the most knowledge does not win in the church. It's he who's obedient to the knowledge he knows is the most blessed Christian in the church. It's not what you know. It's how obedient are you to what you know right now. Are you following the word? Not what you know of the word. You need to know it to follow it. But once you know it, you have to be obedient. Well, there, are, there is a common temptation of the church. If we prepare and we do understand we're instance, we let God have us and he can work in us. There's two things that happen, and that's in Acts 1 at the end here. It says, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? That is an excellent question. I want to go to the church as I travel in North America and say, what are you folks standing around for? Why are you looking up into the sky? Do you think Jesus won't come back? Do you don't think he's coming back for you? You have to stand around and wait? Jesus said, get busy with the job. He said, one of the big problems with the church is like we find all sorts of things to divert us from the core part of the church and the mission of the church. They're not bad things. And I won't even mention some of the things that I think can divert us because I may offend you. But you can think in your own mind, what are the things that any church could do that aren't bad things? They actually are probably good things, but they're not the main thing. And so a church will fill up its calendar with all sorts of activities to do good things and miss the main thing. And the main thing is to be the lighthouse on the hill to communicate the gospel. To mobilize the church to be out active in the highways and the byways of where they live. And where they work. Where they eat. Where they breathe. And if you aren't caught up in diversions, then you will certainly get involved in divisions. Because a church that's standing around and looking elsewhere and not active will soon be judgmental. Churches that are not missional, they're not looking at the Great Commission, eventually will get judgmental. And we want to find the, the, the speck in the brother's eye, and we're not looking at the log in our own eye. And the, as Christians, we're really good at that. We're really good at helping everybody else get the specks out of their eyes and ignoring our own log. And churches that are not busy to the main mission become judgmental and divisive. And they'll get petty. They'll argue about the color of the carpet. They'll argue about how so-and-so looks. They'll argue about the most incidental things. And it ends up being a problem. But when the Holy Spirit has a church, any local church, on mission, and people are getting saved, people are joining, and you're hearing the testimonies of new believers joining the church, people can overlook everything. They can forget about any differences. And they just embrace because they are so excited to be where God is working. 
I can tell you that I have had the privilege multiple times in my life to be in a place where God is doing some incredible things. And I'm telling you, you don't have divisions. You don't have problems. You're just saying, thank you, Jesus, for letting me be here now. Because I'm seeing something that can only be explained on a supernatural level. But how many of our churches are in the middle of strife in North America? Well, the question besides the need for prayerful preparation, understanding that we're simply instruments and the common temptation for the church, is what drives you? Ultimately, what is it that drives you? Do you understand the purpose of why you were given the gift of salvation? Do you understand the purpose to be that lighthouse on the hill, to send out that message to the world that starts in our backyard and moves out? Do we understand that? It's actually an age-old question that was answered by Joshua back in the Old Testament. When Joshua said, because this decision is incredibly personal to you. But Joshua understood that. Because when he said, even though I have responsibility to the nation of Israel, I cannot speak for the nation of Israel. I can speak for me and my family. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. I'm so thankful that I had a father who when he became a Christian was a genuine Christian. State farm insurance agent for 43 years. But when he got saved, he went out communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a young teenager who was newly saved myself, I saw him lead 30 people to the Lord during my teenage years. Businessmen that he knew, that he grew up with, that he had known for years, sharing the gospel and seeing them come know to Christ. At his funeral, when he died, he went to be with the Lord about five years ago. 600 people showed up for his funeral. For a layman, an insurance agent, not a pastor, not a preacher. And I knew about 300 of the people because they were people from his past when I grew up in my dad's house. The other 300 came after I moved out of my dad's house. And I never even met these people. One by one, they came up to me and said, if not for your dad, I wouldn't be here today. My family would not know Jesus Christ. If not for your family, your mom and dad, we would not know Jesus See, it's not about the role or the position. It's about being a Christian. And when this life is done and over with, and we stand before the Lord, what are we going to say? What are we going to say? As for me and my household, we'll serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be a colonial. Love these people so much. Love what you've done in and through this church over the years and what you're doing in the lives of these people right now. Oh God, I just pray that Colonial Baptist will be a lighthouse right here in Jerusalem and in Judea, but they'll continue to impact the far reaches of the world. Thank you for the missionaries that I've already met today that have committed their life that I knew and I know and are serving you. Thank you, Lord, for those that you're going to call out from among the church that haven't left yet. And we ask that you would give them the courage, the power, and the calling to make that move. For we ask in Christ's name.